1: It is Thursday, April 18th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome Ben's right-hand man on First Tuesday's investigative journalist, Mick Dumke. The union man, Ed Maher, will join us. And Chicago Symphony Orchestra striking member, the one, the only, making his return, Steve Lester. And now your host,
2: (laughs) member of the Air Orchestra, he plays air instruments, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this I See Nothing Thursday. And here's why. So for the last several hours, our crack team of investigators here at the Ben Show have been diligently, and I mean diligently, pouring over the 448 pages of recently downloaded Mueller report to provide you with an immediate, incredibly detailed update of what our president knew and when did he know it in regards to Putin gate. Yes, yes. The intervention of Russian operatives to tilt the 2016 election away from Hillary Clinton and to Donald John Trump. So you get that update, D? Uh Huh? Huh? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Our crack team. Our crack team consists of Dr. D and me. All right. We're pretty busy here at the Ben social. So so far, Dr. D, I think, is up to page 10 of that report. (laughs) Yep. Page 11. Oh, uh, you're really moving on on page 11. All right, listen, folks. Oh, seriousness. I've plowed through some of it, and then I had to go in the air. So, uh, But from this, I know. From what I've read and what I've seen and what I've heard, it sure seems to me that the powers that be in Donald Trump's Justice Department have decided to sweep this baby under the rug. Page I mean, 12. <laughs> Hey, man, don't don't miss page 11, all right? There's a lot of stuff going on on page 11, all right? I mean, folks, they've got volumes of evidence that Donald Trump's campaign team was meeting with Russian operatives in the weeks leading up to the election. They have evidence that Russian... uh, computer operatives had hacked into democratic computers they have evidence that trump was finagling at the white house to figure out ways to short circuit this federal investigation into his wheeling and dealing with putin's russian but somehow or another they don't have enough evidence to indict anyone isn't that interesting good god what do they need Oh, no, sorry, Ben. We need real, real good evidence. We have lots of evidence, but we don't have real good en- evidence. Insufficient evidence to establish that the Trumpsters, quote, engaged in criminal conspiracy to disrupt the election. So in other words, they got evidence that they conspired, but they don't have evidence to indict them from conspiring. You got that, folks. There's evidence, but there's no evidence. Well, we know President Putin Russia was up to something. We know there was a reason he had those uh, hacksters hacking into Democratic computers. We know there was a reason why they were meeting with Trump uh, officials, Trump campaign officials, but somehow or other, they just want you to walk on by, no crime, nothing for you to see. (laughs) You know what I'm waiting for, folks? I'm waiting for all those police chiefs, all those suburban white police officers who held that press conference last week to denounce Kim Fox, to hold a press conference holding calling for Attorney General Weabar to step down. Please explain to me, folks. Please explain to me what's the difference between what Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox did in dropping all charges against Jesse Smollett in the face of overwhelming evidence and what William Barr has just done. Actually, what William Barr did was worse. At least Kim Fox, state's attorney's office, charged Smollett with something, and then they dropped the charges. Barr says he doesn't have the evidence to charge Trump or his uh, acolytes with anything, even though they have the evidence. He's like Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes, a show from way before your time, Dr. D, who would like you'd show him something right in his face and go, I see nothing. That's our attorney general. I see nothing. Yeah, it's hard to see attorney general Barr when you have your eyes closed. We had a great show today, everybody. Mick Dumpke will be coming in here, my partner in crime at the Hideout Show, investigative reporter for ProPublica. I know he's got a thing or two to say about Mueller, uh, the Mueller report and uh, William Barr. Plus, we'll also be talking about the uh, aldermanic elections, the new city council, what uh, what Chicago will be like uh, in the Lori Lightfoot era, what Mick thinks about that anyway, and all sorts of other political issues uh, that may uh, hop into our minds. We, you know, when you put Mick Dumpke and myself in front of a microphone, We tend to talk politics, politics, politics. Eddie Maher, Union Man Eddie, will be here to talk about kitchen table issues In his humble opinion that the Democrats should embrace if they're going to defeat Donald Trump in 2020. I guess the Democrats are going to have to run on the issues, folks, because there sure isn't going to be any indictment against Donald Trump for conspiring uh, with the Russians, even though. There's a lot of evidence of him conspiring with the uh, Russians. And Steve Buster will make his return to talk about the ongoing strike with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Cannot believe a city, city of Chicago, that wants to be known as an internationally recognized uh, attraction that would bring tourists from all over the world to come visit us would tolerate a strike like this. I think it's now heading into like its third week. So we'll get Steve on uh, for an update and uh, plenty of political talk ahead. But before we do any of that... We got the news with Dr. D.
1: Hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. First off, live stream chat room. It's on and popping. Looks like we got two new people joining us here. Oh. Uh, Matrix Illuminati. Ooh, spooky name there. He says, hello.
2: Can't wait for your opinion about the Mueller report, Ben. Oh, man. with the Lift carpet, sweep under. <laughs> Lift carpet, sweep under. That basically falls it. They got evidence, but they don't have it ev- evidence. okay. All right, man. I tell you what. Can you imagine if uh, the Cook County State's Attorney did stuff like this? There'd be police chiefs holding press conferences. Oh, we did have the police chiefs holding the press conferences. Isn't that interesting? But, uh, they see nothing with William Barr.
1: Matrix Illuminati up top. Thanks for joining us. All right, and then Anthony. Anthony says here, impeach Trump. <laughs> and then Anthony I guess Anthony picked up the Chicago newspaper today it says Lori Lightfoot first black female of Chicago, uh, female mayor of Chicago
2: uh, <laughs> New news here for Anthony, all right.
1: (laughs) And Pat Rod says, what up? What up, Pat Rod? Okay, it's the middle of the day, everybody. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. The Mueller report is out. I repeat, the Mueller report (laughs) is out. The Justice Department uh, has released Robert Mueller's report on Russian interference in the 2016 election. This thing's about 400 pages long. I'm reading through it. Page 13. (laughs) Yeah. I'll get there before the show ends. All yeah. right, There's so much news happening surrounding this thing at the moment. Uh, there's been insufficient evidence to establish at the moment that Mr. Trump or his associates engaged in a criminal conspiracy with Russia to disrupt the 2016
2: election. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Obvious. It's the powers that be at the Trump's justice department. Uh, do not want to indict a sitting president or any of his top aides or his officials. They don't want to open up that can of words. Maybe they're afraid of you know what trump will do to them the retribution from donald trump or uh well they just want to cover it up but i tell you what folks there's so many people sent to jail for far lesser with far lesser evidence here in cook county all the time and they're just they're just gonna uh, uh look the other way on this uh on, on evidence that Donald Trump and his um, his aides or his advisors, campaign advisors, met and conspired with the Russians. It is sweeping under the carpet at a gross level, and... Um you know, I saw the press conference today, uh, D, where um, uh, William Barr, the attorney general, was quite a performance. We talk about this with Mick Dumpke, where, you know, uh, as soon as the reporters started answering questions. First of all, to have the press conference before he releases the report. So, so sort of like, you know, uh, nobody can ask him a question based on the evidence or nobody can ask him a base, a, a question based on, uh, you know, what what the findings are and then as soon as they start acting asking tough questions just to turn around and walk away uh it just goes to show you this whole thing was staged from uh the get-go all right and uh let's see here
1: attorney general william barr had a press conference before the release ben i believe the words you used to describe that uh was load of crap am i right (laughs) Yeah, uh, something more or less
2: along those lines
1: all right and boy trump has been trolling hard on twitter today Yikes. All right. First, he posted this video collage of him saying no collusion over and over again.
2: I do have the right to fight back, and I'm fighting back not
3: for me. I'm fighting back for the people of this country. No collusion. There was no collusion. No collusion. No collusion. There is absolutely no collusion. There's no collusion. The fact is there is no collusion. No collusion. There's no collusion. This is a investigation where... Many, many millions of dollars has been spent, and there's no collusion. This is a a win (laughs) for this president. He's having a field
1: day today, people. For now, two years has essentially been screaming. There was no Russia collusion. He is backed up by Mueller. Maybe every time he said no collusion, like more than 231 times so far, maybe every time he said no collusion, he was telling the truth. This was an illegal takedown. That failed. Wow. (laughs) And hopefully somebody's going to look at the other side. Oh, yeah, here
4: we go. Oh, man,
1: he's (laughs) eating a quarter pounder. (laughs) Just kicking back and enjoying yeah. today,
2: isn't he? Oh, good God. Any thoughts on that video? Yeah, well, first of all, the bit about fighting for the people is hilarious. You know what I'm saying? Like anything he's done has been for uh, anybody other than the, the wealthiest of wealthy in this country. The only substantial thing that Donald Trump has done in terms of legislative initiatives was, of course, the tax, the tax cut that went down uh, last year. And uh, so that was a huge benefit for the wealthiest people in this country, perpetuating inequity that we're going to be dealing with in the state and the local level. Uh, For many years uh, to come, as we try to figure out how to pay for government basic governmental obligations and operations, Uh, in terms of no collusion, they had plenty evidence of collusion. They just decided not to file charges against him. It's it's remarkable. It's like oh, there's no evidence except for the evidence that we have here. All right, you got that? We have evidence, but there's no evidence. Okay, just move on, move on.
1: All right, so we had that video. Now to actual tweets. Cue the ukulele. All right, let's read uh, Donald Trump's I tweets. I love here. that ukulele. Man. I know it's pretty sweet, right? Yeah. All right, now let's see. This was from our president this morning. The greatest political hoax of all time. Oh God. Crimes were committed by crooked, dirty cops and DNC slash the Democrats
2: crooked dirty cops Eh? yeah yeah I saw that one I was like who was he
1: talking about the crooked dirty cops alright this next one is in all caps so I'll have to do my yelling Donald Trump impression which does sound a lot like Ray Romano from everybody loves Raymond (laughs) alright just bear with me okay here's the tweet from Trump it's a simple one
4: presidential (laughs) harassment
1: (laughs) Uh, oh then he posted a game of thrones themed meme yeah
2: All about collusion as well. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, Donald Trump was prepared for this. Uh, Talk about collusion. uh, You know, uh, Justice Department lawyers have been talking to White House lawyers. Uh, Barr released that letter, a four-page, what was it, about two or three weeks ago. So Trump knew what was coming down. He's waiting for this moment. Uh, He's taking uh, his victory lap. Uh, if you will, because he knows there's not going to be any indictment against... He, probably, he knew He's known that for a while now. There's evidence. One more time, folks. There's evidence, but there's no evidence. You got that? All right, <laughs> just keep moving on. There's evidence, but no evidence. Sure. Oh, wait, another video. No collusion.
1: The Russia investigation is finally over. The news caught many people by surprise. This is a, a win for this president who for now two years has essentially been screaming there was no russia collusion he is backed up by Mueller. the results some are guy right. from cnn and take a saying. look at the headlines from the washington post to the new york post they're what the president wanted the president Important has point. just been exonerated i mean can we just take yeah, a step I mean, back yeah. and focus on the fact that right. this is a nearly two-year right.
0: investigation that has swirled around the president since day one of his presidency and he has just been exonerated um, okay. robert
1: all right you yeah, get the point yeah, everybody yeah, donald point. trump's having a field he's <laughs> okay <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, man. Well, uh, so what, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say uh, there's evidence, but there's no evidence. Just walk on by, baby.
1: Now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories. Well, mm-hmm. this story as today's program rolls along. Enough of this no collusion stuff here. Benny J, are you ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and/or Illinois this afternoon? I was born ready. Love that answer. Never a bad answer, especially at this time. Because coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to find out exactly.
2: What else is news? All right. um, uh, I can't wait for this because guess what, D? No collusion. Oh, my. Uh, uh, (laughs) It's the time of day where the doctor plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. At Chicagoland Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at Chicagoland Cremation One more time Chicago Land Cremation Options. Com. Oh, excellent job on that
1: live read, <laughs> Benny J. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live
2: from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Ooh. And uh, Dennis is about to take uh, the deep dive in the local news. Before you do that, Dee, I just want to share this uh, very funny bit that was in. Hold
1: on. You hear that? That's a newspaper, listeners. Now, Ben, show the listeners that newspaper.
2: There you go. Everybody. See that? The Chicago Tribune. Yes, the Chicago Tribune. I get the Tribune, too. Uh, Joe Fournier. Fournier? 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 Remember we used to have him on the show? Fournier. 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 (laughs) No, Joe Fournier is a very talented uh, cartoonist for the Chicago Tribune. And he was on our old show a couple times. Funny guy, too. Uh, I was always reluctant to praise him because I'm so critical of the editorial board at the Chicago Tribune. I figured he'd get in trouble. But what the heck? Everybody knows I'm a big fan of Joe Fournier. Fournier. For, uh, day. for day, <laughs> but this is really funny. I got to give Joe credits. He, you know, his cartoon is called Op Art, and the headline is "The Governor's Ode" by Joe Ah uh, Spring. Ah, spring, when a young governor's fancy turns to thoughts of revenue generators. And it shows uh, illustration of J.B. Pritzker, Governor J.B. Pritzker. He's like doing a dance, like um, like a dance to spring. And the title J.B. Pritzker waxes poetic. And here's what he says. Here's what Joe wrote. Quote, I think that I shall never need a poem as lovely as this weed. This weed whose smoky, lofty goal will be to fill our budget hole. Oh, <laughs> fill Get the it? Bowl. Goal? No, not bowl, hole. Oh. <laughs> uh, this weed whose smoky, lofty goal will be to fill our budget hole. This weed whose seeds will legal grow in hopes our coffers overflow. And to those who ask, is this a joke? Dude, lighten up. And have a toke. All right. That's pretty All good. All right. Like Joe. He's a very funny guy, that Joe. very funny, wry man, Joe Fournier. Anyway, what you
1: got for me, young man? All right. It's about to, we're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. Preckwinkle picks herself up mm-hmm. after her loss in the mayor's race. But first, a Smollett Gate update. Yes, the ongoing saga of Empire actor Jesse Smollett and the handling of his fake hate crime case by prosecutors and our state's attorney, Kim Fox. Oh, and today's Smollett Gate update on the Ben Show is brought to you by the Freedom of Information Act. The Freedom of Information Act, providing the public with access to federal agency
2: records for over fifty years. Oh, wow. That's really good to know. By the way, Mick Dumkey has entered the studio, ladies and gentlemen. Mick Dumkey has entered the studio. All right. We're gonna sit him down, put him to work early. (laughs) Dumkey thinks it's a half hour. Uh Uh-uh. Get to work, boy. (laughs) So this is brought to you by the
1: Freedom of Information Act. New text messages reveal that weeks after she recused herself from the case, state's attorney Kim Fox was getting involved in the Jesse. Smollett case. March 8th, shortly after all 16 felonies towards Smollett were dropped by the prosecutor's text messages between Kim Fox and the guy who took over the case. First assistant, Cook County State's attorney is a Joe Maggots. Is that how I pronounce that?
2: Yes, it's good enough.
1: Maggots? Fournier? Fournier? Fournier. (laughs) It's not Joe Fournay, okay? He's a cartoonist, all right? All right, we're going with maggots, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Uh, They were released, right? These texts were released. And in the text, Fox calls Smollett a washed up celebrity and states that 16 felonies is pretty excessive. Let's read the text. Super casual, by the way, between these two, this text. Uh, This is Kim Fox testing Joe maggots. And if you're listening today, Joe, and I butchered (laughs) your last name, sorry, dude. Keep listening. Yeah. Download the show. All right. Quote This is Kim Fox. So I'm recused. But when people accuse us, uh, accuse us of overcharging cases, 16 counts on a class four felony becomes exhibit. Hey. Yeah.
2: I think she said the the correct way of doing that first word is so. Yeah, like Cuz I think four she wrote O's. like 4 Os have it. so. So, I'm recused. Yes, there that's uh, that's what she's saying and uh yeah, she uh was recused but she's not recused. We're going to have a really uh force make Dumkey to investigate this one and explain what's going on here exactly. Uh he's sort of our criminal justice expert. Uh, But uh, yes, she was recused in the case, but she was not recused in the case. She had nothing to do with the case, but yet she was involved with the case. Uh, It's a little like William Barr, our attorney general, who found evidence uh, that uh, Trump was up to no good, but he didn't find evidence that Trump was up to no good. Slippery slope, this It's a slippery slope. We just kind of want to, you know. Sweep it all under the rug. Fox then went on to compare Smollett's
1: case to the office's pending indictment of R&B singer R. Kelly Mm -hmm. on 10 charges of aggravated criminal sexual abuse. The text goes on from Kim Fox here, quote, pedophile with four victims, 10 counts, washed up celeb who lies to cops, 16 counts, she wrote. And then she put, just because we can charge something doesn't mean we should.
2: Well, that's the same attitude, obviously, that William Barr has regarding uh, Donald Trump. Hey, just because we got evidence of a meeting with the Russians doesn't mean we have to charge him for meeting with the Russians. So, uh. What's good enough for Justice Smollett is apparently good enough for the president of the United States.
1: When asked why the state's attorney continued to communicate about the case after her withdrawal, a spokesman issued a statement Tuesday night on Fox's behalf saying she reached out to maggots only, quote, to discuss reviewing office policies to assure consistencies in our charging and our use of appropriate charging
2: authority mm, i'm gonna have to talk to mcdonkey about that it, either you're recused or you're not recused on this uh, particular issue it's just Sounds like a little ducking and dodging going here with our uh, state's attorney there. All right. Mr. McDumpkey is in studio. We're going to be
1: talking with him at one thirty. So we're just going to go ahead and move on here. Uh, And after her damn near historic loss in the mayoral election, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle (laughs) has no choice but to move on as well. But we're still a little uncertain as to how. Tony plans to move forward after the runoff. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Rachel Hinton. Mm -hmm. They reached out and talked one-on-one with Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, Preckwinkle. The article reads, a year ago, Tony Preckwinkle ruled out seeking another term as Cook County Board President, but now she's refusing to say whether that door will remain slammed shut. Last March, Preckwinkle told the the Sun-Times that the term she wound up being elected to in November would be her last. On Wednesday, Preckwinkle refused to say whether that is still the plan. Here's the quote from Preckwinkle, quote, you know, I'm looking forward to the next four years. We've got a lot on our plate, starting with, frankly, our work on the census. Billions of dollars are at stake, not just for us in the county, but every taxing body within the county, all the cities, towns and villages, all the school districts, and not to mention our congressional delegation. When pressed further on the issue, Preckwinkle repeated, quote, I've got a lot of work to do.
2: Yes, indeed. She it, does have a lot of work to do. I was going to gonna say
1: here, in your opinion, will this be uh, Precwickle's
2: final year as Cook County Board President, Ben? Uh, what well, final term uh, as Cook County Board President? You know, I do believe, I don't think she's going to run for reelection. You asked me that question. I, You know, and reading the article, uh, Rachel Hinton's article, and listening to your quotes again, um, I'm st- struck by this. Notion. Why did she even run for mayor in the first place? Uh, And uh, this is is definitely something that I'm going to be talking with Mick Dumkey about because uh, Mick and I host First Tuesday, uh, First Tuesday of every month at the hideout. We had Tony Prokwinkel on as a guest. Right after she announced, I believe it was in October of 2018. And, you know, thinking of everything that has um, transpired since that moment when she announced and she appeared on our show, and uh, I think of the campaign that unfolded, there was never like a, a sense that there was like a prevailing theme in her campaign or like a motivating issue uh, that was getting her to run for mayor. And so I'm just don't understand why she ran for mayor in the first place. Uh, and, and now I don't understand why she is raising the possibility that she's going to run for re-election as Cook County Board President because um, she seemed very certain of the fact that she was going to step down then. So I don't know what's going on with Tony Preckwinkle. Maybe it has to do with the fact that, you know, it's kind of a sobering thing to end your career, uh, getting slammed the way she did, what was it, 75% to 25%. Uh, And so maybe, you know, she just wants to sort of uh, fix her uh, legacy, if you will, uh, as an elected official in Cook County. Tony Preckwinkle was then asked
1: about her current relationship with Lori Lightfoot, you know, the lady who smoked her in the (laughs) election. Yeah. Yeah. Preckwinkle said she hasn't spoken to the newly elected mayor since the day after the election and wouldn't say exactly how she sees her relationship with her former opponent shaping up. Here's the quote from Tony. Quote. Half the people in the county are residents of the city. I worked with Mayor Rahm Emanuel on a number of issues, particularly the concerns we both had about
2: violence in the city, and I anticipate working with the mayor-elect. Well, she really has no choice. I mean, the mayor-elect is the mayor-elect, and after May, she'll be the mayor, and uh, Tony's not going anywhere. And if Tony could have got along with Rom, uh, in the face of all the mental health closures and the hospital closures and the crummy tiff deals, uh, if Tony could have figured a way to get along with Rom and either support his initiatives or quietly look the other way and pretend that she didn't see what was going on, then she certainly can get along uh, with Lori Lightfoot uh, even though she, you know, they just had this very contentious mayor's race. That's how it is in politics. We all know that. Um, you have to have a thick skin, and uh, you know, your old friend, your old enemy is your friend uh, within, you know, like like a month or two. So uh, I think Tony Prickwell has no choice uh, but to work with Lori Lightfoot.
1: All right, it looks like we have an update for President Donald Trump. Hold on. Illusion.
3: No collusion. Okay. <laughs> no collusion.
1: No collusion. Oh, we get it, buddy. We get it. That's been the same no update collusion. for the last two years. We get it. No collusion. All right. But hey, what about that uh, one campaign staffer for Tony Preckwinkle who also voted for Lori Lightfoot? Preckwinkle expertly shrugged that one off saying, quote, so you found one unhappy camper.
2: Yeah, I was always a little suspect about that whole thing. You know, I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> there's probably more than one who voted again. If I were Tony, I'd say, oh, they really just wanted to have me around as president of the Cook County Board. They loved me so much because I was doing a good job. And to bring it
1: all around (laughs) full circle here, Preckwinkle was asked about her former chief of staff, Kim Fox, and Mm -hmm. all the aforementioned drama surrounding her. She expressed confidence in Fox, saying, quote, She's an incumbent. I think she's going to be slated. I strongly support the good work she's done in her office, not just her refocus of the office on violent crime, but her exoneration of individuals who've been ground up in our criminal justice
2: system. Listen, Kim Fox deserves credit. My humble opinion, we'll see if McDumkey agrees with me, in promoting the notion of alternative sentencing to throwing people into jail. I think that is an issue that has uh, long been needed to be addressed in this city, in this county in this state, in this country, and Kim Fox deserves credit for it. And I think a lot of the... The blowback against her for the way she's handled Smollett gate is an attempt to undercut that larger issue and I think uh, Tony Preckwinkle I give her credit for this and McDonkey'll probably agree with me because he was with me when we were ushered in her office many years ago and heard her talking about the need uh, not to lock up people who are uh, you know convicted of like minor drug offenses marijuana offenses so I give both Kim Fox and Tony Preckwinkle credit for being at the forefront of this issue at least uh Locally. So, you know what? Kudos to you, Tony Prickly. You ran a a lousy campaign uh, for mayor, and I still don't know why you ran, but you have been consistent on this issue, and it's probably why you have so many enemies in the law enforcement community. Uh, and why Kim Fox has so many enemies in the law enforcement? That's it. I'm waiting for those suburban uh, police chiefs. Hold that press conference demanding that William Barr step down as Attorney General for not prosecuting the President of the United States.
1: So there you are, just like that. You're now in the know of what is going on locally. And hey, by the way, everybody, we're having a caption contest today. It's a Donald Trump hugging the flag like a psychopath <laughs> contest. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it's that one picture of him hugging the flag. He's got a sad look on his face. As well. Uh, send your captions. We have quite a few to read. We're going to be doing that at the 2 o'clock hour. So many captions to read. We'll be reading yours on the air. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. J-O-R-A V Via's in Victory. S-K-Y at Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y the letter J Show. We're going to keep the caption contest open until the end of Friday's show. And uh, who is our Martwick? Rob yeah, Martwick. Rob Martwick. He's going to be picking <laughs> our winner. All Rob right? Markwick, yes. So head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Leave us your captions. We'll be reading them on the air. And now you will have an answer.
2: The next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Let me tell you something. What? Something that Joe Fournier or Fournier thinks. Something that Joe... Both of
1: them. Fournier and Fournier.
2: (laughs) And Joe Theismann. Joe Theismann. The great Joe Theismann. And Joe Banduzer. Kid I went to high school with. They all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Mick Dumpkin sitting right here. We're going to bring him on right after this.
1: the ben jarofsky show is brought to you by the chicago sun times for the latest in chicago and illinois news sports weather and the latest in national news from a real chicago frame of mind and real chicago writers check out the chicago sun times read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com and hey if you have a little extra cash subscribe and by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com.
2: Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Sun-Times. Mick Dumpke in the studio, ace investigative reporter for ProPublica, columnist uh, now, uh, and my partner in crime every first Tuesday, correct, Mick? Just about every first Tuesday. <laughs> Sometimes yes. we take it off. Let's every just th- call it every, let's round up. Yeah, yeah. let's round up. and uh, uh, Every first Tuesday at the hideout, and uh, we'll be doing a show May 7th at the hideout, 6.30. We'll probably, well, I have not heard back from our guests,
0: so I don't- I have not either. Uh, <laughs> this is what happens every time, ladies and gentlemen. But don't worry, we, we pull it together somehow. Stop. But our plan is to talk about the, uh, the new city council, the new mayor- um, and what their relationship is going to be like. So it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. And uh, you should, all should be there. I, I will ask you
2: about that uh, if I can, if we get to it. I know we're going to be um, have so many tangents here. When Mick and I start talking politics, we have so many tangents. First of all. I must join the thousands of people uh, throughout Chicagoland in uh, saying happy birthday to Mick. His his birthday was yesterday. And he celebrated people by going to, of all places, White Sox Park to watch a White Sox game. Is that correct? It is correct. A cup uh, fan.
0: Well, that's the thing. I, I actually was surprised at how many people were like, why are you at White Sox Park? Like, I, I can't I can't go south of Madison Street. What's the deal here, you know? It's true. I've been a lifelong Cubs fan, but I'm a baseball fan. I, I don't cheer against the Sox. Plus, they're playing the Royals, and I've always had a thing for the Royals since they were a powerhouse team when I was a kid. So you were actually rooting for the Royals? You know, I didn't really root... Very loud for either team, both of which are terrible right now. They are uh, last and second to last in the AL Central, and they played like it. But you know what? It was a beautiful day at the ballpark, and I got to tell you one one other thing about this uh, not not to you know do PR for the White Sox, but. but we got there, walked up to the to the ticket box right before the game, two tickets, great. Center field or uh, right field bleacher seats for nine dollars and thirty cents for both of them. Nine thirty. We paid nine thirty wow. to get in the game for two of us. Whoa! <laughs> Let's go Tickets right now. Tickets were selling for four dollars yeah. and
2: fifteen cents. Yeah, for major league baseball. that like, was awesome at Wrigley we had Field. A great time. That. Now, all right. Now I know we have a plenty of political discussion ahead, but I'm going to make this a sports political. How can you tolerate? I may, I may have grilled you on this before, but I'm going to grill you on it again. Uh, I'm a life, well, not lifelong. I've been a Cub fan since the 60s. i root for both teams. It's a long story. I love Sox and Cubs fan. Uh, But I'm finding it increasingly harder and harder to look the other way uh, with the Cubs in light of the Ricketts ownership of the Cubs. Um, particularly their political leanings. This is just me speaking here, Mick. How do you deal with this issue with the Ricketts family and the ownership uh, of the Cubs and the, the you know the father and the anti-Muslim uh, email and the fact that one of the brothers is uh, the, the uh, chief operative for the Republican Party nationally? How do you deal with that?
0: We're all finding it very difficult to deal with. I mean, the being an operative for the Republican Party Is is actually way down the list. Um, Even though most members of my family do not vote that way anymore, you know, there's a little bit of respect, I guess. If you're a party person, you want to vote, you want to work for the party, fine. Um, But the the bigotry that's come out from the, you know, from. Uh, Papa Ricketts and the emails that were released, and this isn't the first round of them. The most recent one, just the anti-Muslim stuff. Not the first round of this stuff. Uh, sickening to uh, both my in-laws, um, who are Muslim, as well as uh, you know my my parents and my siblings uh, that side of the family. So we're having a hard time with it. I'd also say Ben uh, far less important in the greater scheme of things, but. Um, also significant to, I think, an increasing number of Cubs fans is just the experience of being a Cubs fan. Well, everyone welcomes, of course, uh, the thrilling World Series victory and the fact that the Cubs have had, what, four playoff teams in a row Um you know, are, They're competitive, they're fun to watch, everybody likes all that, but the actual experience of being a fan is less fun than it was. Wrigley Field, uh, they've jammed more seats in there, the concourses are crowded, everything is more expensive. Uh, The Trib had what I thought was a really telling story a couple weeks ago about a lot of longtime season ticket holders who had been displaced because the Cubs decided to put in an elite box, a new section. Um, And I think you're hearing a lot of stories like that, people who are just really put off by this new culture of money, money, money. Not that the previous owners (laughs) didn't also want to make money and extract money from Wrigley Field and the Cubs, but there just seems to be this new culture that they are just so interested in, in in getting more money out of this thing that the fan experience is way down the list and we're supposed to uh, be happy with the fact we got a World Series finally. Everyone is happy, but that's supposed to make up for all this other stuff and it doesn't. Yeah,
2: no, there's something there. It's it's though the Cubs have become bad public citizens and it's weird, Mick, because uh, as I, I'm you know if I take the deep dive on public financing of our sports teams, the Cubs are probably, if I'm going to do this off the top of my head, fifth In this city, the White Sox get the biggest subsidy, the most consistent, generous subsidy. It's ongoing. I would say that if it wasn't for the state bailout of the White Sox,
0: uh, they may not even be in Chicago. Uh, I I certainly wouldn't be able to get a bleacher seat for four dollars and 15 cents. So if it wasn't for the state subsidy. (laughs) So I did did think about that yesterday. (laughs) Yeah,
2: we are underwriting that cost. Uh, (laughs) The Bears, their uh, Soldier Field renovation, as ugly as it is, was financed at over six hundred million dollars by the public. And then, when they got done moving all the fee, uh, the park district buildings, as a result of that field they, uh, that uh, project, it was even more expensive. And then, of course, uh, the United Center, where the Bulls and the Blackhawks pay, uh, was largely uh, funded by property tax breaks that were in uh, in code in the state law. That uh, so, the Cubs, relatively speaking, have gotten a lesser handout, and yet there seems to be just a. a there's just more a disdainful attitude toward them uh and i I feel it you know what i'm saying i find it harder and harder to defend the cubs
0: yeah and don't don't forget they targeted the local alderman uh for the reason that he supposedly (laughs) didn't give them or help them get everything they wanted which i just found breathtaking um that was in its arrogance Tom Tunney is the alderman that Mick's alluding to. 44th Ward Alderman.
2: The best favor that the Ricketts ever did for him, by the way, uh, Mick, was targeting. But yes, the arrogance. They got everything they wanted, pretty much, and they still were
0: mad. They were still mad uh, just because he dared ask questions, made them tweak their plans, and uh, and then he romped to reelection so yeah a romp to reelection thanks to the re-
2: should you send them like flowers or something all right let's uh, uh no and that wait and then there's um i don't know if you saw this the evidence of like the racist emails or that were sent to the cubs
0: relief pitcher did you, right uh, yeah uh edwards
2: and um
0: well sadly that's not unique to cubs players or uh, Cubdom. i mean obviously this has happened the nfl has just been turned upside down in the last few years um Donald Trump among others that that gives us a little segue Donald Trump among others weighing in on uh, the NFL and some of the controversies there so Uh, sports is you know the the thing about it is ben i think people like you and me recognize that sports are just supposed to be fun we look at as an outlet we want to you want to lose yourself in the average bulls game uh i spent my birthday yesterday playing hooky going to the ballpark um watching an insignificant game between two losing teams and and thoroughly enjoyed it but the truth is they uh reflect and um in some ways uh uh Symbolize all the problems, social ills uh, that we write about as political reporters as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on uh, to Donald Trump. Uh, I've not had a full opportunity, Mick, to read all 448 pages of the Mueller report. What have you been doing Uh, all day? Come on. I'm getting on it. Uh, 15. Oh, he's on page 15. All right, (laughs) Dennis is making his way through it. It's tough. Uh, But I read the headlines and... um, I have to admit, I'm very disappointed. Uh, There's the evidence but there's no uh, indictment. There's evidence, but the evidence is overlooked. That's my takeaway. It just seems, it just reinforces my sense that there's a double standard, uh, an obvious double standard between cr- high crimes committed by powerful people and just everyday crimes p- permitted, uh, committed uh, by people who live like on the west side or the south side and they get thrown into jail all the time, can't pay, pay their bail, they're locked away forever and yet we just look the other way at this Evidence with Donald Trump?
0: Well, all right. First of all, there have been quite a number of people who have been indicted, charged, pleaded guilty already as a result of this investigation. So um, I don't think we should forget that, including several of of Donald Trump's uh, top aides during the 2016 campaign. So um, all the people on the left who are uh, bemoaning the report and don't think that it's been very strong, well, there's a long, there's a lot of people who are now uh, convicted felons as a result of this already. I don't know the exact number, but I, it's I think more, it's 34. It, yeah, I was going to say, it's at least a couple yeah. dozen people. So that's not insignificant. Um, I, I think the one thing that uh, would have been helpful, perhaps, to both sides is to have clearer conclusions. The evidence is laid out, as you mentioned, in hundreds of pages I've only seen. Skimmed parts of it. I've been also reading the the coverage from uh, people whose jobs it is today to uh, go through this and try to detail it, uh, pull things out of it for us. Um, But one of the takeaways that I have is just. You know, that Mueller and his team, they did this extraordinary uh, work of collecting information and they laid it out in detail, but then they didn't really draw a lot of conclusions from it. And Mm. that um, left an opening for what we saw this morning with the attorney general uh, Barr to go basically forward and act like he was Trump's personal attorney and spin the thing as you know, uh, a near exoneration of Trump, which is specifically the report does say this is not an exoneration of the president, um, but it didn't reach other clear conclusions. So I think that's just going to fuel this uh, endless, endless debate between the various sides here about what happened and how significant it was. Mm. And, you know, you and I were joking before we were on the air that we hadn't had time to, to read through the whole thing. Well, Neither have most of the people at the highest levels of government who are weighing in on this. So that's yeah. where we are. It's it's actually quite yeah. sad, in an era where uh, you know facts are themselves are, are refuted. In this case, they're just being ignored. It's just a spin cycle with with like no factual basis.
2: Very well put, and it's a, uh, a spin cycle that was set in motion. Uh, months ago where this Dennis plays this bit, I don't know if you heard it all the time, where Trump's saying no collusion, no collusion, no collusion.
0: That's been their line and the whole time. Line. Yeah. And
2: then Barr played right into it, uh, no collusion. All right, uh, so what about uh, the part that uh, really irritates me uh, and it's funny coming from me, Mick, because, you know, I was all upset when Smollett gate first erupted. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I was on the phone with Mick. This is ridiculous. She's taking phone calls from this person, Tina, Chen, et cetera, et cetera. But the reaction from law enforcement types to what went down here uh, in Chicago with a uh, Jesse Smollett and the investigation uh, by Kim Fox, and then and, and the sort of the chorus that's building uh, to uh, stepped down, resigned. Remember that press conference with the police chiefs? Police chiefs having a press conference calling the state's attorney to step down like one year into her term, or two right. years into her term. Uh, and William Barr, the attorney general of the United States, saying, well, there's evidence, but there's no evidence. So let's move on.
0: Well, I think they're a little. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I think it's apples and oranges. I know what you're saying. In in both cases, again, if we're taking a step back, it's sort of like facts be damned. We're going to see this the way we want to see it, and not really talk about the the facts or the legal issues in, at play. But I, I do think that the the storylines and the cases are are really significantly different. Um, and from what we have seen coming out from the Mueller report. Uh, the uh, Mueller and his team did verify uh, contacts between the Trump team and the Russians. And let's just take a step back, whether this meets a legal definition of uh, a collaboration, um, whether it, it's an indictable offense, whether Donald Trump himself was involved. Boy, not so long ago, the Republican Party saw Russians under every desk Okay, uh, of anyone who was left of center. And. You know they would have been outraged. I mean, just just during Obama's term, he was a socialist. He's a communist. Well, now it's you know uh, certainly footsie was played with the Russians, even if there was no legal violation by Donald Trump or his family members or um, well, as we said, others close to him. There were uh, legal violations apparently, um, but. A lot of people are disappointed in this report, but let's not lose sight of what it actually does say. The Russians were involved in the U.S. election. And there was an attempt by members of Donald Trump's campaign team to get information or at least to use information that the Russians were making available on Hillary Clinton. I think that's pretty serious. Now, what are the political ramifications? Well, we have a Republican Party at this point in time that doesn't seem to care what Donald Trump's conduct is. They're going to defend him at, at any cost because they don't see a political cost. And we have Democrats now who, uh, since they've seized control of uh, one control of the the House of Representatives, are vowing to push on with the investigation. So this is just another step in a long process we're going to probably see. Mueller, uh, Barr are going to testify. Um, there's going to be a battle between the House and the Senate over which who's going to get whom to testify first. Uh, this is going to go on and on. It's
2: going to go on and on. And I guess my, the part that really irritates me is that there's no attempt to find sort of, sort of a, an objective Reality, if you will, and that's no. what I, that's what I get at uh, when I compare it to uh, what I saw with Jesse Smollett. Because in each instance, there's uh, something that happened, right? And if we just remove our uh, political views, remove who we're cheering for, remove like where we came at it, you it, it, to the uh, to this incidents, these two separate incidents, and just view it as objectively as possible, what happened? Right. And I I note that when it comes to stringing up, if you will, uh, a Republican, Democrats want to be as je- as objective as possible, and vice versa. Correct. But, and that's my point with those with those white police chiefs holding that press company were so outraged that the charges were dropped and i'm outraged in the face of everything you just said all that evidence that Mueller unveiled that all that evidence that 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 investigation uh, uh produced can sort of be reduced to no collusion you know what i'm saying a statement of no collusion uh on the part of uh of Trump and then Barr essentially uh, echoing it. Um, You're right. And it won't go anywhere. Now let's, let's switch it to the local level. Just
0: just one, one other quick thought, Ben, and Mm -hmm. this is something I was reading um, in the Washington Post's coverage about this Mm -hmm. on the way over here. Um, There is a, uh, and I'll try to find it. If I can't find it real quickly, we'll just, I'll just paraphrase, but uh, basically not only did Mueller specifically, say that it's really up to Congress to determine the obstruction issue at this point in time, to, to sort through that, but also um, said uh, essentially that um, even if it didn't meet the bar of a federal crime, that it is up to Congress to determine whether this was conduct unworthy of a president. And so I think that um, in his own play it by the book, uh, you know, it's really straight-laced, only write-down-exactly-what-you-can-defend-in-court kind of approach to the whole thing. I think it sounds like Mueller has left a trail of a lot of of, uh, eggs or goodies for people to find here. And and run with so that's where I think it's it's going to continue and yeah it'll be hey, continue yeah.
2: it'll become very political as you were pointing out that uh, if if it becomes as Mueller is was leading what you're suggesting there is that Mueller is saying hey Congress if you want to impeach him uh, on these matters go ahead uh, right and if that w- that would become completely and totally a political event, if you will. You know what I'm saying, yes. Mick? That would become Democrats versus Republicans with uh, the A-man corner of Trump saying no collusion, no collusion, and any attempt to have that objective study that I was talking about earlier, where you just, well, let's just take a look at what happened here,
0: will be thrown out the window. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and... Yeah. Um, I don't know if, there's possible, if it's possible to... This is an objective study. Here's your objective study, Ben, and even you and I, who are clamoring at this moment for objectivity, find it a little bit underwhelming. Yeah. So I think that's the era we we are in, where people want clear conclusions, and they are uh, we're we're all a little bit frustrated that it's not. That it, that it hasn't come to something that's, that's more definitive. Yeah, absolutely. Ed Maher, my uh, next guest, is in the studio. Ed Maher is
2: in the studio. I love it when my guests come early. Uh, Mick Dumpke is still here from ProPublica, investigative reporter. Uh, we were talking about the the Mueller report. Let's get back to uh, uh, Kim Fox and Jesse Smollett-Gate, uh, an obsession of mine from about two weeks ago. It's kind of faded, Mick, with all the other uh, ongoing uh, news. The big story in today's papers is that they got uh, the reporters got uh, the various uh, emails that uh, Kim Fox sent to uh, her aides and that uh, regarding this matter. Uh, What's your takeaway from some of the things that you read in the paper today?
0: Well, first of all, it's some of the emails and some of the text messages. They are what uh, the state's attorney's office chose to release. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I, I think, in fairness to them, not all of them are. Necessarily look good for uh, Kim Fox, so they obviously whatever they decided to release or not release. And I have not studied that part of it um, at all. I wasn't involved in uh, foying any of this material myself, but um, they appeared to release some stuff that wasn't n- totally flattering to the state's attorney. So you have to give him credit for at least that degree of openness. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, this is this is another this is another instance where it's supposed to be literally in this case uh it's almost being painted as a black and white issue and it's not i think there are two uh there are, there are several layers of issues here There, um, uh, it's not just how um smollett was and his case were treated uh, that's one, that's one question. It's how the state's attorney handled it. Do they follow all the processes? And then it's the waves of response by the various parties involved here. And you talked about the suburban police chiefs. We had the, the local FOP has blasted Kim Fox. Of course, they've been blasting her since, I think, even before she got into office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I feel like, uh, to your point, the, question of what actually happened we what actually happened both in the you know the initial police report and the initial incident and then how it was handled at each stage of the game uh, by the state's attorney's office and others we still don't have answers to a lot of those questions and so now we're uh we're almost arguing over criminal justice reform we're arguing over um you know, it's become an argument about all these kinds of things. It's been a, an argument about hate crimes instead of uh, the, you know, the issue of what actually happened at that time, which we still don't know. Yeah, we still don't know. And then. Uh, there's, you're right. There's uh,
2: so many aspects of One is the recusal issue. We talked about that uh, briefly uh, before you came on. What's your thoughts on this, Mick? Uh, where she said she 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 recused herself from the case, and then she was sending emails uh, to her underlings where she was weighing in on the case. And by the way, it's not that I disagree with the argument she made in the emails that uh, that there wasn't enough evidence uh, in this case to charge him with the 16
0: counts. Well, and that and, that, and that's like yes. Yeah, My point, you can be in favor of criminal justice reform. You could actually even say you don't think it was appropriate for this particular person to serve time locked up. But also say that, you know, she didn't handle this case uh, in a transparent manner. And that raises a lot of questions about the office's conduct. And what's unfortunate, I think, for uh, people who are in favor of various kinds of criminal justice reform alternative sentencing these kinds of things is that you know this does not help the cause no, at all absolutely. because the, because it's being the issue of whether he should have served time or gotten a stiffer sentence has been completely confused with the process that got you Whoa. to the deal that was cut how was this deal cut we don't know the answer to that we i think we need to know the answer to that question then we can continue to discuss what appropriate sentences are for a for different crimes that is mick dumkey
2: and he is absolutely right on that point uh i agree with you mick then in uh the fact i still have struggle with the fact that she took a phone call from tina chen
0: well there's a lot about now i'm interrupting you but there's a lot about how uh state's attorney fox um i always keep wanting to call her kim because you know you talk to her or whatever how how she handled the whole thing Mm -hmm. And, and it's actually very frustrating to me how she's reacted since all this came out. Um, I feel like she's undermined her own argument in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I agree with you, Ben. Why did she take the call? Why did she do this sort of half recusal thing? I mean, a, a formal recusal means the person who reports to you doesn't get to work on the case either. Yeah. It means you get somebody from outside to handle it, as what happened with the Jason Van Dyke case. Uh, Prosecution, yeah. Right. So they didn't do that part of it um, fully. They said one thing and sort of only went halfway on, on that too. Yeah. Um, there's just so many layers to this. And now we're at this point where it's sort of divided the public. It's like some people are, I'm with Kim because she's a criminal justice reformer and they're, conveniently skipping over all the questions about how this particular Absolutely. case was handled. And then you have the FOP and the suburban police chiefs who are against her using this uh, you know, to, to to get to jump on her for really for other issues besides this
2: case. There's no objective reality. Out the window. Gone. It's partisanship. And by the way, the same people who are saying this is an outrage that she took the call from Tina Chen, it's an outrage that she recused herself but didn't recuse herself, are awfully silent about Donald Trump firing Comey. And I bring (laughs) it back because if you believe in principles, you hold those principles no matter what the political situation is. If it's your team that's getting clobbered, Mick, then you got to stick by your principles. But you know, you and I know that in the game of politics, it's usually the principles, the first thing, along with truth that goes out the window.
0: <laughs> it is
2: definitely dispensable, isn't it? it? Dispensable, indeed. All right, let me get your thoughts on Tony Preckwinkle. You know about, you've been covering Tony a long time. You've interviewed her even, I don't know, go back to the 90s, maybe. Um, her, her interview today in the Sun-Times, where she says she's thinking of serving another term. Uh, what do you make of all this?
0: Well, I don't think it's... Um I don't think it's unusual or, or unwise for an elected official to um, be vague about her or his planned departure date. Um, who knows how long Rahm was thinking he wasn't going to run again. He's not going to announce that two year, with two years to go because uh, it makes you a lame duck. It, it weakens you. She's already weakened by this past election. Uh, the results showing she didn't win a single ward in Chicago, and um, so I think that Tony had to come back and basically say, "I'm going to serve with all my energy. I got a lot to do. I'm I'm fully in this, my current job, and then be." Purposely vague about whether this is going to be it for her, because um, if she says that, then you know everyone is is already dismissive of her. Then she's done, and she's got almost four full years to serve still. So I think it was wise of her to to say, well, maybe I'll I, I'm not going to rule out uh, going beyond this term. Yeah, and uh, that campaign she
2: ran. The more I think about it, the more the worse it looks. That mayoral campaign that she ran. Uh, do you think our heart was in it Mick?
0: Well I wondered about that. It reminded me in some ways uh you and I are making these uh, apples to apples or apples to oranges arguments so I'll make one myself. It reminded me of uh 1992 the presidential campaign was was uh the first president Bush was he really into it because the same thing you know it it seemed for parts of that campaign that he wasn't all there he just didn't show the same energy and you have to wonder after at that point he had been in the White House um, or you know in the administration for 12 years. was he was he okay with losing? Yeah. I don't think anybody ever likes to lose, but you're right. at a certain point in time, you're like, well, the fates may may not be there. A veteran politician recognizes that it just you know may not be in the cards. I do think Tony recognized well before the votes came in, that she was done for in this one. And she just never got her footing. The issues were not the ones she thought she was going to be able to campaign on. They ended up being about corruption and how close you were to the sun of uh, Chicago politics. And she flew too close to the sun.
2: (laughs) The sun being Ed Burke?
0: Yeah, the sun sun? being Ed Burke. (laughs) Sonny Burke. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, uh, we talked about this before. Four years ago, Rahm won the runoff by talking about how much more experienced he was than than Chuy Garcia. This time, the experience was a negative. So I just think that it wasn't the campaign she expected. Now, why wasn't her team agile enough to adjust and tout her very real list of accomplishments? I don't know. Yeah.
2: No, they, they had the opportunity. I mean, that I always tease, uh, you know, people who uh, pr- promote what I call the David Axelrod view, you know, ready to govern from day one. Do uh, you want a mayor ready to govern? From day right. One. She could make that argument. If there's anybody who could make that argument, it would be Tony Preckwinkle. And that argument got lost. Absolutely. As you're saying in the election, uh, in the campaign. All right. Now, uh, we're, she,
0: she also, I could say, I keep saying this, but I just, she also could have talked about how she got to power by making other people come to her essentially by forging an independent path and then at a certain point in time she got elected and other people sided with her and i would have i would have had an add up throughout the campaign about how she was one of five votes against the parking media yes. deal. Yeah, yeah. By the way,
2: if only these people who run these campaigns were as smart as <laughs> me and Mick, all right, they'd never who, lose. Who
0: have never worked on, <laughs> yeah. let alone run a campaign.
2: Man, oh, we're such, I had uh, Jason McGrath here in the studio yesterday. He's a pollster for Lori Lightfoot. We were talking about the campaign and I realized the questions I'm asking him are all sort of embedded in this knowledge that, oh, of course I know what's going on. Right, it's right. Monday. The game was Sunday. Yeah, I know. I can... What an expert <laughs> I am. Oh, Lord. No, anybody, any campaign would hire me or Mick to run it, it would be a losing That's campaign. It, you got it. All right. Now, let's just, uh, before I let you get out the door and bring Ed Maher on, let's just uh, tease folks a little bit with what we're going to talk about. We could spend a whole half hour talking about this. When Mick Dumpke and I get going, we could talk a long time about politics. But the makeup of the new city council uh, in the age of Mayor Lightfoot, uh, it's prop. Probably going to be different in some way than it uh, was under Mayor Rahm. Not quite sure how yet, Mick, or to what extent or what degree. But what's uh, give your give folks a little bit of you know uh, uh, what we're going to be talking about uh, in a week or two weeks at uh, First States. What's your sense of where the council is going to go under Mayor Lakewood?
0: Well, I think we're going to have to figure that out. You're right, but I think what we the few the few little pieces of the puzzle that we we can see are that. Uh, The departure of veterans, I mean, uh, Pat O'Connor, the consummate insider, the consummate, uh, um, you know, uh, play ball kind of guy, deal maker who, unlike uh, Burke, you know, didn't attract all sorts of negative publicity, uh, certainly not to the level of Ed Burke and sort of, um, I think, was very well liked by a lot of his colleagues, at least a collegial person. And uh, so he's gone. Uh, Ed Burke, you would think, even though he won re-election, is weakened by the fact that he um, has been charged uh, by federal authorities and is no longer the finance committee chairman. You would think he's weakened again. That's a question mark. Do we? What happens? Um, a lot of people who are elected, particularly on the north side, who are, you know, well. Proudly left of center, uh, the Democratic Socialists—six um, of them, right? I think who are will be joining the council. What does that mean? Um, and and then you know who is left to lead the way? Who who is who are gonna who are the aldermen who are gonna captain the teams? Who are they gonna? Uh, are some longtime uh, people? I think the longest serving. After Ed Burke, the longest-serving alderman is Kerry Austin, who is the Budget Committee Chair. Is she going to retain that position and the clout that comes with that? Um and if she doesn't, will it be a result of her colleagues deciding to dump her? Or will the mayor basically, again, engineer the city council alignment? So these are just a few of the questions.
2: Yeah, these are questions that uh, we'll have more details on uh, when we uh, convene May 7th at the hideout, 630. We're going to, by then, we'll know who our guests are. We would think, yeah. <laughs> We'd hope. Even, even Mick and Ben are more organized, uh, than just to have the, no guests until six o'clock and then we pick them up all right mick thanks so much for coming in i really appreciate it and uh enjoy the rest of your day thank you good to be here see Uh, you next round see you next round indeed Uh, yeah we're gonna have to uh, do a whole like two hour thing with mick dumpke for a saturday special mick and i've actually been talking about this a podcast yeah we've been like scheming and wheeling and dealing uh and i'm gonna rope him in for a a special maybe next week anyway ed maher sitting by we're gonna bring him on right after this
1: Hey there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times online, chicago.suntimes.com the chicago reader online chicagoreader.com and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts apple Podcasts, google play pick one just search for the ben jarovsky show j-o-r-a v as in victory s-k-y so let's recap Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live-streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is moments away, but before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions again for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, we would like to thank the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. How's it going, Ryan Kelly? The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, Jeff Johnson. What up? And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show was brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. It is Thursday, April 18th, and live from the Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarovsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's the return of union man Ed Maher, and also making his return, striking Chicago Symphony Orchestra member Steve Lester. And now your host,
2: Chicago Reader Columnist, Benny J. Ben Yes, indeed, Ed Maher in the studio, and I invited Steve Lester back because I think it's outrageous the city of Chicago cannot uh, figure out a way to get its striking Chicago Symphony Orchestra members back to work. Ridiculous. We want to be known as a first-class uh, city with tourists coming from all over the world. We have this tremendous asset this uh, symphony orchestra and and its members are on strike they can't cut a deal i think it's outrageous so we'll get steve lester uh, in the studio a little labor to uh, later today to talk about that it's sort of labor day in the ben jarofsky show on thursday uh, we bring in uh, various uh, unions various union uh, uh, representatives um, unions sponsor this show very appreciative of the fact i'm in two unions myself so I know a thing or two about paying union dues, that's for sure. Ed Maher in the studio. Uh, we got a lot of union talk to ha- ahead of us and political talk. I think it uh, always has a thing or two to say about uh, politics. Uh, but before we do that, D, what you got for me? You got an update? All right, people,
1: yes, I do. Yesterday after the show ended, we reached 1,200 likes on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Oh, and by the way, Ben, see that mountain ahead up there? <laughs> see that? Yeah. Yeah, that's oh. 2,000 likes. Oh, about yeah. 2,000. Just keep your head down, buddy. Let's keep grinding. We'll get there soon enough. Keep okay?
2: grinding, man. That's how we do it, baby. 2,000
1: likes <laughs> on the way. All right. Let's keep going here. We'll get there soon enough. We're having a caption contest to celebrate 1,200. It's a Donald Trump caption contest. Right now, posted on the top of the Facebook page is our caption contest picture. Head over to the page right now, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show. And if you need help with that last name, Ben, spell it for him. J-O-R-A-V, as in victory, S-K-Y. Leave us your captions if you haven't done so yet. Let's read the captions that we have thus far, though. Now, the picture just Begging for your caption is one of our president at that CPAC convention a while back. He's hugging the flag like a weirdo. He has a sad look on his face. Oh, my God. Perfect picture to caption. So picture that, all right? As I read our first caption, our first caption comes from our dear friend, Babs. Oh, okay. What's he got? Ben's favorite, Babs. All right. Bab type. Babs, man. Big, uh, big time listener to this show. Once again, Donald Trump hugging the American flag with a goofy look on his face. And uh, Babs caption... <laughs> I usually have to pay $130,000 for a hug. Oh, funny. Ben liked it. Ben liked it. All right. How about uh, let's move on to our next caption.
2: Oh, man, Ben really liked that. I, the joke is coming home. Oh, yeah, It costs one hundred thirty grand to shut him up. Uh, yes.
1: All right. On to our next caption here. Let's do, okay, let's, Darlene. Darlene's caption, Darlene puts, America, help me. I did many wrongs
2: yeah yeah i just you're sure trump invitations kind of getting to me all i was right. gonna say i think it's getting better now. yeah oh wow practice, all right man.
1: i'm on addition for snl all right yeah. all right on to uh, joseph's caption joseph says i spake me harder stormy oh, okay <laughs> A little much. All right, uh, let's see here. <laughs> and how about uh, Hughes' caption? Hughes up next. Uh, Hughes' caption: What? I don't feel good. I haven't made poopy in three days. Okay, okay. okay. all right. We got <laughs> comedians here. All right, how about Steve's caption? Once again, Donald Trump hugging the flag with a goofy look on his face. Steve's caption: I'm sticking to the un- I'm sticking it to the union. Putin doesn't even care.
2: Yeah, that he is sticking it to the union. We'll be talking about that with Ed Mar, Yep. All right. How about
1: Dar? What's going on, Dar? She left a caption. I even hugged the flag so I can please stay in America. So, oh, so can I please stay yeah, in America? Yeah. I'm oh, not a great wee. reader. Oh, by the way, I'm, re- I'm trying to get to the Mueller report, by the way. Oh, yes. You're Page 16. All
2: right. You're making your way through. it's only uh, 432 pages I know. left to go. I'm then.
1: working. By the end of the show, I'll probably get that going on. All right. Uh, let's see here. We read that one. Let's see. Okay. We got Joseph's caption. Once again, Donald Trump hugging the American flag with a goofy look on his face. Joseph's caption. My God, Donnie, stop groping the flag.
2: Okay, yeah. yeah, Ben likes it. Ben likes it. He's groping the flag. Yes, I, he is. Let's do two it more It is a here. weird picture, man. We'll Have you seen it. that picture, Ed? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right, right. now. <laughs> and I've, I've yeah, seen a lot should. of
4: politicians, um, you know, wrap themselves in the flag, but I've never seen one wrap the flag in themselves.
2: Oh, <laughs> <said laughs> Mars. Be doing a, a bit of zanies. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> How about Brian's caption? Uh, Brian puts, uh, clinging to the stars before he's stuck
2: behind bars. Oh, that's actually good. That's, that's very fair. Good. Get the, you know Get the frozen Stakes to him right we, now. We don't give away steaks. Oh, I thought we did. Uh, All
1: right, okay. and uh, we'll do one more here. Mm-hmm. Let's do Joseph's caption now. Joseph, when we uh did the old show, you know the show we had before for Ben got fired. <laughs> Joseph. Joseph was excellent at captions. Yes, we, he was. We called him Captain Caption. Yes. <laughs> Joseph has left us his latest caption here. Once again, Donald Trump hugging the American flag. Joseph's caption, I'm gonna add a star for Mar-a-Lago to this flag. <laughs> That's good. Keep the captions coming. We're gonna That's keep this contest. Caption. We're gonna keep this contest open until the end of Friday's
2: program. And where uh, Illinois State rep Rob Martwick. Martwick is gonna have to make the Yeah, the the decision here. Uh-oh, pressure on Martin There you go. So, hey, to
1: give you a little teaser, maybe help out some of you listeners, Rob Martwick plays guitar. So maybe throw in some guitar captions if you want to win this caption contest.
2: All right, very good. Thank you very much, uh, Dennis, and to uh, all the listeners. That's some funny stuff. Uh, Ed Maher, my guest, and uh, Union Man Ed Maher, Operating Engineers Local 150. You know, Ed, uh, people may not know this or remember this. I do uh, Ed briefly, uh, was sat in for Norman Goldman, our good friend, Norman Goldman. At one point, you and Jake Lewis were sitting in for him, uh, t- handling phone calls from all over the country on Norman's show, yep. uh, on had that a great time st- with Jake doing that, doing that it was a lot of fun. I was listening to you uh, with my good friend, Melissa, still my friend, uh, even though things have happened, have separated me from that station. But it's anyway, complicated. it's complicated, but, um, so you know how to deal, uh, you had to deal with, uh, Trump supporters calling in, uh, as sailing, uh, people, the the, the investigators and the Trump. What's your what's your sense now uh, with the Mueller report having emerged? You, uh, the bar, Attorney General Barr's press conference, a little bizarre scene this morning. Uh, what's your sense now of how the, uh, the Trumpsters are going to play all this uh, going forward? Imagine if you were still holding that show, what kind of questions would you be getting, you and Jake getting as uh, you dealt with the Trumpsters? I mean, I think the headlines on conservative news
4: today are no collusion. That's what uh, the president tweeted out shortly after the press conference started. You know, he won the election. He hired an attorney general. He he set up the infrastructure infrastructure to put himself in the best place possible with whatever the result of this investigation was. do I think? I mean, I watched the the press conference this morning with Attorney General Barr, and when he started to talk about how devoted the president was and how emotionally hurt he was by this investigation, it was you know I thought to myself that that's very disappointing, but that's the power you get when you appoint the attorney general. So the there's a lot I haven't had a chance to read the report. It'll probably be well into tomorrow before I really get a, a firm grasp on it, but. Um, I think that there's probably going to be investigations that are spurred by, you know, revelations from the report. But I think we have to recognize, um, you know, we meaning folks on the left and folks that have disagreements with, uh, the way that the president has handled this and many other matters, we've got to start to, to kind of move on. We can't make the fighting over this the next two years because that's how we get, um, another four years easily for, for president Trump. Um, you know he's he's the president. He's got the the pulpit. He's got folks in place to help him spin this. And so if there are going to be investigations, let those things happen. Uh, let them be legitimate. But when when somebody when you go after somebody and you're unsuccessful, uh, I think of Scott Walker in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. They went after they did the recall election on Scott Walker, and it was unsuccessful. It made Scott Walker stronger. Uh, and that's the danger here is by putting all your eggs into the um, into the investigation basket. If it doesn't come back as a blockbuster success, he's stronger. Um, so anyhow, regardless, um, the report is out. Everybody's gonna have a chance to read it. Um, things that have been redacted, or things that were spun in ways that uh, people are unhappy with, this is the world we live in and we've just got to, if we're gonna be successful in two years, we've gotta start to talk about how we're gonna change things, how politicians are gonna change things, because in the background of all this, the, the president's appointing people, he's making policy, and that's what's got to be the focus, because a lot of things have, have happened in the background quietly while everybody's been looking at this big, shiny object. Yeah. yeah. All right.
2: Now, that's a perfect transition to uh, what I want to talk to you about, because you're absolutely correct. It's going to have a life of its own, this investigation, even if there's no uh, new indictments. Uh, McDunkey was correct in pointing out there have been indictments in the past even if there's no new indictments even if no there's no criminal case lodged against the president himself or his son etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, there will be uh, investigations and hearing in the meantime uh in your humble opinion what are the issues that uh, uh trump's challengers should champion if they want to let's say Uh, address concerns to working people, to union people, uh, to middle-class people uh, who feel as though maybe this administration is not really looking out for their interests. What are the issues, in your humble opinion, uh, that the Bernie Sanders of the world or Kamala Harris's of the world, the candidates should be championing? Sure. I I think that they would be referred to
4: as kitchen table issues. Um, There was a little bit of press last week about some union leaders that made announcements about um, the fact that they thought that some of these more uh, press worthy issues like um, perhaps the wall, the filibuster issues, things like that were popular and they grabbed headlines. But what really moved voters are these kitchen table issues like um, folks across the country are worried about being able to afford insurance and be able to afford insurance, health care um, that they can actually use. Uh, not these high deductible plans where it only comes in handy if you have a catastrophic uh, illness, um, things like that. Things like um, you know the the flatlining of wages over the last twenty years, actually the decline of wages over the last twenty years when adjusted for inflation. But people are worried about getting by, about putting food on their table. Um, so we can all talk about the filibuster and those issues are real, uh, but they don't they don't impact broad swaths of American voters in the way that. Things like healthcare do. We saw in November, um, Democrats leaned on healthcare, and Republicans, frankly, um, played a perfect foil for going after pre-existing conditions, trying to take that part out of Obamacare. And you know, Americans of all political stripes, it's it's insane to think that, you know, eight or nine years ago. If you got sick while you were at one job, you had to stay at that job, otherwise you'd never get coverage for that illness. It seems like something that would have happened 100 years ago, yeah. but it was less than 10 years ago. And And this administration was talking about pushing us back to that. So that was an issue that drove voters. Uh, Democrats won. This blue wave was driven by health care. Um, and I think, frankly, that um, the Republican side the Trump administration has kind of set itself up for another round of that because it's once again um you know the administration has issued briefs uh saying that it agrees that the entirety of the affordable care act is unconstitutional and should all be struck down if it's all struck down you're gonna wind up with folks who had coverage that are not going to have coverage and people with pre-existing conditions that could lose that i think americans in the last 10 years have seen what the it's not even the good life i mean it's a little tiny sliver of the good life of what you know healthcare in other countries perhaps is like but um Protecting people for pre-existing conditions. That's a pretty basic thing. And now that we've seen like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It would be insane not to do that anymore. Um, You know, I think going back to that
2: would be would be problematic and uh, voters of of any political stripe would agree with that. Uh, We have a uh, I don't know if you heard this, um, uh, Ed. We we were playing a lot yesterday. uh, Bernie Sanders on Fox TV. Extraordinary moment, I thought. Because uh, here you have Bernie Sanders, who's the antithesis, uh, you know, I mean, the epitome of a, uh, of like a lefty in this country, sure. you know, Democratic. He won't even call himself a Democrat half the time, Democratic, Socialist, what have you. Uh, going on the most conservative uh, TV show in a town hall meeting. I think he's the only Democrat who's done the town hall. And he called out for uh, uh, Medicare for all and he got such a resounding cheer that the cynic in me thought that he had packed the audience. I've since read Fox TV, swearing up and down, that it was not packed by Bernie. It was legit. Can we play that for Ed so he can hear this one, D?
1: audience has a lot of Democrats in it. It has uh, Republicans, independents, Democratic socialists, conservatives. Uh, I wanna ask the audience a question, if you could raise your hand here. A show of hands of how many people get their insurance from work, private insurance, right now? How many get it from private insurance? Okay, now of those, how many are willing to transition to what the Senator says, a government-run system?
2: Millions of people every single year lose their health insurance, you know why? They get fired or they quit and they go to another employer. I was the mayor for eight years. You know what I did, what probably every mayor in America does? is you look around for the best insurance program, the most cost-effective insurance, you change insurance. Every year, millions of workers wake up in the morning and their employer has changed the insurance that they have. Maybe they like the doctors, people are nodding their heads, okay? So this is not new, every year. Now what we're talking about actually is stability, that when you have a Medicare for all, it is there now and it will be there in the future. Okay, it's cheering at a Fox
4: town hall for Medicare for all. When when Bernie agreed to do that town hall, I kind of I couldn't help but think, you know, ask myself, what's Bernie thinking? And when I watched it, I said, what was Fox News thinking? You know, because there he he threw out some Trump lines, and the, the whole crowd went wild. It, <laughs> it kind of made me think, who's in this crowd? Like, you know, if Fox didn't pack the room, um, they probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> they probably shouldn't have had the town hall because. Um, but I, I think that, that that what Bernie's talking about is absolutely right. Um, and I th- the way also that, that Fox News and a lot of uh, other folks will spin this is that um, a lot of people get insurance from their employer. And mm-hmm. under a single-payer plan, they wouldn't get that anymore, as though those people are going to be left out or not get insurance or something like that. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, like friends of mine, who have good jobs, you know, six-figure jobs, who've got healthcare that, you know, with like a $7,500 deductible mm. every year. Nobody, almost nobody, unless you get really, really ill, meets that $7,500 deductible. Yeah. So these same friends of mine don't go to the doctor for routine things, or they'll plan a big procedure and then scramble their family into the doctor to take care of everything. That's not healthcare. That's not what what this is supposed to be. I mean, if you don't go to the hospital or get your checkups, you're gonna get those those terrible illnesses. It's gonna take years off your life. So. Um, just because you have private insurance doesn't mean you have good insurance. Like there's a whole notion, um, it's, it's almost being classified this way as, as a benefit, um, referred to as cancer insurance. Now, cancer insurance doesn't actually exist, but these high deductible plans are more often being referred to as cancer insurance because the only way you ever crack that deductible is if you get cancer. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm very, very fortunate. I'm a member of a union. And I've got a good plan. I've got a good health care plan that's negotiated by the union for me, as do members of Local 150 and many other um, many other unions. So I have a, a low deductible. I, my daughter goes to the doctor and gets her checkups as she should. If she's got a, an earache, we take her to the doctor and get it taken care of. That's the way that health care is supposed to work. Um, avoid catastrophic injuries and illnesses that could have otherwise been avoided. Um, and so I think that the health care system in america is broken um a lot of it is policy and a lot of that i think is because the lobbying group um for american health care is bigger than alcohol tobacco uh gun rights any of that stuff it's all dwarfed by health care the amount of money that um you know pharmaceutical manufacturers health care providers health networks and things like that put into lobbying is unbelievable i mean it would it would it would be shocking I, I don't know if there are documentaries out there about this but there should be because americans should know um that without like a drastic change to the way that this country provides health care if we try and do it kind of piecemeal um it, nothing's going to be done that benefits the american people um that that leads to better coverage for less money i don't see a way that it happens without a dramatic change um you know towards something like a single-payer plan mm-hmm. i I don't know what the answer is, but something like a single
2: payer plan is the closest thing that I've heard. All right, let's get into that because uh, I've lived through so much debate on health care and I've watched it change. I don't know how much it's changed. Let me tell you my point. Uh, when the Clintons got, when the Clintons, I thought of them as a team, when Bill Clinton was elected uh, president, well, he put his wife in charge of the health care. That's why I said the Clintons. Mm-hmm. He put Hillary in charge of a task force to bring in health care. This is back in uh, 93, Ed, and um they were unsuccessful, and largely they were unsuccessful because the in, uh, insurance industry uh, fought them so hard and, and presented this notion that people would lose something concrete that they had. What you're talking about, their private uh, plans. I've now we've now evolved to the point where uh, Bernie Bruce Sanders can go on Fox TV and get loud cheers calling for what the Clintons wouldn't even try to do, get it back in 93. Um, Do you think that this country has moved on on this issue to the point where like people in your union, for instance, would say, you know what? I got a good plan, but I'm willing to give it up for uh, a universal plan. Or do you think we're still sort of stuck where we were in 93? You know, I think the other end of the spectrum of folks who have
4: you know, essentially meaningless healthcare that still costs a tremendous amount of money to them. That that population is growing. I mean, I, I personally, um, the plan that I have is very good, um, but it costs an extreme amount of money for for family coverage. It's you know, it's over twenty thousand dollars a year. So, and that's not. I mean, that's that's for a, a plan that can actually be used, yeah. that I can use for wellness, for, for whatever. Something that I can go to the doctor and not walk out with a, a 500 or $1,000 bill uh, mm-hmm. coming to me in the mail. Um, so when folks talk about the cost, you know, we're going to have to pay higher taxes. And if they had to raise taxes 2 to 4%, which are kind of the numbers that they throw out to institute some sort of a social uh, single-payer health care plan, if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, it's going to cost you two to four thousand more every year, right? Mm-hmm. Two and four percent. Yeah. Right now, like my health insurance plan costs twenty thousand dollars a year, um, so that number on the tax end is not huge. Um, now, other countries have done things like I. have always looked at New Zealand um, with the, their approach to to social medicine and single payer healthcare it sort of creates tiers where certain doctors will go into networks and you've got to pay additionally for like a a supplemental network or something like that. And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if something like that happened here. Um, But even in a situation like that, um, there are options. Uh, If people demand a certain specific doctor at a certain specific hospital and they have resources to do that, they'll be able to do that. But other people will not go bankrupt for being sick. You know, I um, I hosted about two years ago, I picked up um, a fellow member, a sister from the Operating Engineers Union. She was coming down for a conference from Canada. So she'd never been to Chicago. I took her for a ride, showed her the the sites briefly uh, before taking her to the conference. And we got on the topic of healthcare. And you know, she talked about how her sister had gotten cancer. And she's like, if that happens here, do people go bankrupt? And I said, yeah, yes. yeah, like almost yeah. as often as not, probably the answer is yes. Um, and I asked because, I had a, I had a, uh, my daughter was born when I was, I think I was 26, 27 years old. And I remember they, they told me shortly before that, um, it's going to cost like $20,000 to have a child. And I was like, Oh man, I guess I never thought about that. It costs money to have a kid, let alone. It costs <laughs> as much as a car to have a child. Um, yeah. I asked, I asked her about that. Yeah. Um, and she said, no, it's free. You, you go to the hospital, you have your child, but you have to share a room. You don't get a private room. You get, you know, one other person in your room. And, uh, and I was like, well, how much does it cost if you want a private room? She's like, Ooh, it's like 80 or a hundred dollars a night. I was like, that's how much aspirin costs for, you know, for one yeah. when, I, when you go to the hospital. So, um, the, the way that it's being done here, I, I recognize, like, I would, I would feel good about, um, I feel better about the decision that I've made, or I'd feel good about the decision that I made if I knew that people who were poor had access to healthcare yeah. and weren't going to die because they were poor. Cause You know, I grew up in a a middle class family and we were middle class, but not by a whole lot. And in the environment we live in today, I don't know if my parents could have afforded health care to take care of me. So, you know, I've got a lot more in common with the folks who are going bankrupt because they can't afford health care than I do with people who don't care about the people on the streets. And I think that that rings true for a lot of a lot of middle class people. But, you know, the time for uh, for facts to come out about what that system looks like really is now because. Americans are fed up. Republicans are fed up with health care. Democrats are fed up with health care. If there's an issue that moves voters in the last, you know, three, four, Absolutely. five years, that's the one. They I just agree have with to you. have a good plan. So. Put some of the put some of the
2: Hollywood you know stuff aside, and let's just get serious about policy. I uh, Lauren Underwood w- was victorious in the 14th congressional district, and largely running. And she wasn't even talking about single payer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't even talking about Medicare for all. She was just talking about uh, expanding healthcare coverage so that it, we could guarantee that the uh, premiums were lower or the deductibles lower for people who are paying for their own insurance. She was just talking about reforming it, if you will. Uh, and I do believe this is an issue. That uh, could really uh, work against Donald Trump. I think that's why McConnell keeps trying to uh, Senator McConnell from the leader of the Senate keeps trying to pull Trump away from attacks on Obamacare. But you know, he, he just goes into that little attack mode, Ed, where he just starts attacking Obamacare. Um, another issue that you talked about briefly with me on the phone today, I want to talk about. I don't know if there's any legislation for this. Is, is pr- uh, pro- providing some kind of protection for folks who are in the gig economy. And this is, uh, we, we were talking about this GIG, gig economy. Talk a little bit about that, Ed.
4: Yeah. So I think everybody knows somebody who's quit their job to go into uh, driving Uber or Lyft or something like that, or couldn't get a job. So they wound up doing that. Um, so MetLife, every year they come out with a study on benefits. And one of the things that was really interesting in this year's was they said that 23% of uh, the current full-time American workforce plans to leave in the next five years to join the gig economy. So these are 23%, 23%. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a much larger number than I ever would have guessed. Um, but people's needs are increasingly not really being taken care of at work. So they're opting for freedom rather than, um, you know, being stuck in a cubicle and not, uh, you know, the things that stress people out, and this is from that study, um, you know employers more and more have to do a better job of taking care of employees out of work life just taking care of the, the stress that distracts them you know you get a happier workforce a more efficient workforce all of those things and the things that distract people are can they afford their health care are they going to be are they going to be able to retire one day um, do they have enough to to cover an unexpected expense if it pops up um, so these are all things that that workers are increasingly not getting, and I mean the, the the unfortunate thing is, if you shift into the gig economy, um, that doesn't mean it's very unlikely that you're going to get any kind of healthcare coverage from, you know, driving um, for Uber or delivering for DoorDash or something like that. It's going to be the same problem. Uh, the benefits that are provided are going to be almost nothing, um, but you're you're getting kind of a, a sense of freedom from you know being chained to a desk at a job that's also not really giving you benefits. So I think that. Um, if if the way of the industry, and also in the last ten years, a, a Harvard and Princeton study found that in the last ten years, ninety five percent of the jobs that have been created in America mm-hmm. have been in this non traditional, gig, temporary contractor, uh, independent contractor, freelance uh, category, all of which again don't really provide benefits. So, people who are getting jobs now, the the benefits of of full time work are almost they're they're disappearing. So. If people are stressed out, number one stressor for workers in America health care if they're stressed out about it and they can't get it through a job, there's got to be some way that we can we can provide that um, like I think that's a policy that that would be um, that should be explored find a way to just take care of these problems so that no matter what a person's doing, health care is an option it's an an affordable option um, but again, I mean going to college. It's not. It's not really paying benefits for folks as as it used to. Um, I don't know. I don't really approve of the send everybody to college for free because I don't really believe everybody should go to college. Mm-hmm. I went to college with a lot of kids that probably didn't need to be there, and yeah. some people might even have said that about me. <laughs> <laughs> and those people are wrong. But he uh, was a scholar. Yeah. Okay. Forty percent of people who go to college <laughs> yeah. don't graduate. Don't get a degree. Yeah. The people who do. Two years after they get out 45 percent of them have jobs that don't require a college degree um and yet the amount of the number of college of college debt the amount of it um has doubled in the last or uh, more than doubled in the last 10 years it's a trillion and a half dollars so um you know as i said i'm i'm, I'm here i'm a union member Apprenticeships and things like that are a good option because people who graduate apprenticeships, more than 90% of them are employed when they graduate. Yeah. They earn money during that, and they almost always come out debt-free. Yeah. You get a job with health care where you make the best wages you really could make because you've got people negotiating on your behalf. You don't have to worry about it. Um, and then uh, you can retire. You know, you've got a couple of different avenues to retire. So, um, and again, no college debt.
2: Well, I I think that when people talk about publicly uh, financing college, I think they're talking about uh, public universities, community colleges, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're talking about Harvard or Yale. Oh, for sure. So if you want to go to Harvard or Yale, you got to pay for it yourself. Uh, But I do believe, uh, well, I don't know if I'll live long enough to see this, Ed, but I do believe that's a direction we have to head. Uh, toward. I look at the 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 millennial generation that's shackled with so much college debt, uh, and then they're entering an economy uh, that's so volatile, mm-hmm. uh, the gig economy that you're talking about, and uh, companies feel free just to uh, hire people on limited uh, part-time basis without benefits. So then how you get benefits? You're paying for Obamacare. Meanwhile, Trump and the Republicans, every time you turn around, are, are threatening to eradicate Obamacare. Somehow or other, that's our, about our liberty it's to eradicate it so think about that the debt the volatility in the workforce and the unpredictability of your health care i don't know what kind of future there is so i i do believe these are not only um uh, long-term practical solutions to the, the ills of our country, but they're also winnable, Which, to your point, that we started with, winnable issues that the Democrats can run on.
4: That's for sure. I, I've got to briefly just throw a shout-out to Kim Ortiz. Uh, she works at Local 150, and she's a proud millennial. And uh, <laughs> I, I will say she is a humongous fan of yours, Ben. Oh, okay. But she does take note, of, there's a lot of millennial bashing. So yeah. I'm, one of the times I'm going to bring her with me, and uh, I'm going to let her you know give it to you from the, the millennial well, perspective. I love millennials.
2: Uh, There's a millennial right over there. Hey, guys, how's it going? Uh, and, And there's also a millennial who sort of was a millennial at one point or another. Steve Lester has entered the studio. We're going to bring him on. Uh, from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. He was on about a month ago. I thought for certain uh, this strike would have ended uh, by now and we'd have him on uh, to play his instrument, do a little singing uh, in jubilation. Instead, this strike is still going on. I say uh, what I've been saying all day, Steve Lester, when I said last time you're on the show, it's an outrage, absolute outrage. The city of Chicago wants to think of itself as a first-class, world-class city of the world where people come all over the world to the city of Chicago we have our uh, our symphony is out because of the strikes so we're going to bring Steve Lester on when we return <laughs>
1: ben jarofsky show is brought to you by the chicago sun times for the latest in chicago and illinois news sports weather and the latest in national news from a real chicago frame of mind and real chicago writers check out the chicago sun times read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com and hey if you have a little extra cash subscribe and by the chicago reader for a deeper dive in the daily chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city you gotta read the reader music arts and culture film extensive event calendars concert listings and more including weekly political columns from writers like maya dukmasova and yes our very own ben jarofsky the chicago reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com that's chicagoreader.com If you would like to advertise with the Ben Jarovsky Show, and who wouldn't? Contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization. And quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp. That's dot com. To advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times.
2: Yes, indeed, we are live. Ed Maher in the studio with me. Uh, Steve Lester has joined us from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, bass player for the Symphony Orchestra, one of the leaders of the union. And they've been on strike now six weeks. Good God, six weeks. Uh, he's going to get a, uh, an update on what's going on and what it's going to take to settle the strike before we do that. D, you got an update for me?
1: Absolutely, I do. As I try to read through the entire Mueller report,
2: <laughs> by the way, page 20. <laughs> okay yeah yeah 418 to go i'm getting there but as i do
1: that ben we got to talk about something here looks like Uh, a chicago legend has passed longtime chicago sportscaster chet Mm Kopic
2: dies at age 70 after a car crash yeah no chet Kopic. uh i knew chet and uh yeah i saw that i was really sad to see that 70 years old uh i i know we're not allowed to talk sports on the ben Jarovsky show uh you We'll allow it this time. All right, but uh, I was a big fan of Chet Kopic. He had a radio show, a sports radio show in the 80s and the 90s, and he was quite a character. The guy knew more about Chicago than his the stuff he had it you tease me about how much i know about chicago politics you know like the rain man quality i have uh chet Kopic displayed that with uh sports uh, his knowledge of sports was incredible like new numbers like a good old number 51 you know for the I, I i'm not good with numbers ed i wouldn't know the numbers of the players but he knew them all and he was very entertaining and i learned a lot listening to him uh people i got into the radio business very late in life uh Thanks to Dennis. And uh, but I've been listening to radio my whole life. And uh, one of the, the people I really enjoy listening to one of the most entertaining uh, voices on radio for uh, many, many years was Chet Kopic. Really sad to see uh, that he died.
1: Once again, longtime Chicago sportscaster Chet Kopic passed away at age
2: 70 all right very good thank you dennis uh ed maher in the studio still with me we're joined by steve lester uh from the chicago symphony orchestra steve welcome back
3: thank you nice to see you ben
2: it's nice to see you too i wish it was uh the moment of jubilation the last time you're on here is that i'm going to bring you back when you're victorious but
3: well Well, we're still out in strike um we've been walking the picket line now for almost six weeks um and um it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon all right let's talk about
2: that uh it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime too uh, soon i've never been involved in protracted labor negotiations what well, well, strike months. i've been in protracted labor negotiations but never where they were in strike uh the papers were filled with stories about a week ago or so that said and i'm doing this off the top of my head uh the cso leaders had said they gave you their quote last and best offer,
3: unquote. Right. Uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, a week ago, Monday, so it's now almost uh, nine days, something like that, eight, ten days. Um, they did give us their last, last, best, and final offer, which is, um, I guess it's a legal term from negotiations, which um, they basically means they're not going to continue to counter our offers. This is a take-it-or-leave-it offer from... The employer, and uh, we brought it to our membership uh, in a detailed, long meeting where we laid it all out factually without any uh, opinion in the first part of the the um, the meeting. And then we let the membership answer, ask questions, make comments, and then we took a secret ballot vote uh, per the uh, union bylaws and it was overwhelmingly rejected. So we were, we were back on the picket line Monday morning, mm. or Tuesday morning. And uh, when that news was delivered to the uh, other side,
2: uh, to, I, I want I can't call them the owners of the Chicago Symphony, I don't know what to call them. We just call them the employers. The employers, okay. <laughs> the employ- When that uh, response was brought to their attention, what did they say?
3: Well, there was a uh, dead silence and then they canceled two weeks. <laughs> Two weeks of concerts. So it was, um, they didn't, you know, discuss anything or make any attempt to schedule additional sessions or communication of any sort. So um, there was some back and forth later in the week involving our federal mediator and the attorneys. And so we did sit down last Tuesday, a few days ago. And we presented them with yet another compromise offer. Mm-hmm. And they just looked at it for about 30 minutes, which isn't very long in negotiations. Came back in after their caucus and said, we're just going to restate our last, best, and final offer, which is basically, a, I, I could say something, but I'm <laughs> it's, it, it's not a, a very polite way of uh, doing business. And so that's where you stand right now. Have there yeah. been any meetings since
2: then? No all right now um if you can please just sort of uh distill it for us what's the issue here that's preventing um a deal
3: to, a well deal? It, you know you can always look at it two ways you can look at it from the money side and then you can look at it to what does it actually mean to us in the workplace so uh, f- from the money side it's salary and pension of course those are always the big issues in negotiations but from the players' side, from the workplace side, what does it mean? It means that they would be creating, in the pension side, two class of employees, those with their current benefits and those going forward with significantly reduced benefits. Mm -hmm. And we don't think that's a good idea. That's not going to sustain the quality, quality of the orchestra so nothing's changed this is I remember
2: this from the right. last time we were on the show. It's essentially right. a two tier uh proposition that right. they're having. There'll be uh, the older guys uh my generation yep. uh of of symphony members uh who will be under one plan and then uh Ed's beloved millennials uh they they, <laughs> they all have That's true. <laughs> they're, yeah, uh, them they' are too yeah I love millennials too does. <laughs> uh they would, this gets into the heart of what Ed and I were just talking about, how it's like this whole new generation. And and the old timers
3: are holding tight. This is the interesting part about this strike. Because you're protected, Steve Lester. Yeah, I'm not going to get much out of this one way or the other. (laughs) So it's really just about the future of the orchestra. But, you know, it's not that surprising. We give our working lives to the orchestra and to the community. We start when we're in our 20s or 30s. And we stay here for our entire lives. Mm -hmm. So it's not unusual that people who retire retire with 40, 45 years sometimes of service. And we want to see that kind of stability for the future because that's what makes a great orchestra. If you have new people all the time, it's a much different story. It's not like working at a bank or other kinds of employment where it's not that important to have the same person in that job. Mm-hmm. But now, it
2: is for us. Now, uh, when, when, when a labor makes a demand of employer uh, and they're successful, someone has to pay for it. So in this particular instance, uh, is the orchestra, the, the leaders, the employers, uh, I'll use your word, the employers, yeah. uh, are they arguing that you're going to, your demands or your pension demands will bankrupt? The Chicago Symphony Orchestra.
3: No, they're they're saying that the trustees—that's the people who are entrusted with the management of the orchestra and the fundraising—they don't want to be on. Uh, they don't want to have the risk of having to fund our pension going forward. They w- simply want to create a savings plan for the members and wash their hands of of any guarantees. So. We understand that, and we understand, you know, we're not uh, naive about this. This is an unusual situation, trying to keep our defined benefit plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are plenty of orchestras that still have it, and we think it's important for our future. We're willing to give up a little bit on the upside to keep that. Mm -hmm. We're also willing to give up a little bit in salary to keep it. But this is uh, a tough—this is ideological. Our plan— funded with a 2% increase every year, costs $11 million less than their plan over a 10-year period. So it doesn't make economic sense. This is just somebody's made the decision. They don't want us to have a pension. All right, let's talk about it's ideological. Right? What does that mean?
2: Well, uh, What, what is it what is the opposition to what what in particular do they have an ideological opposition?
3: I think this is a general trend that anybody who has a benefit that's guaranteed whether it's um, you know retirement benefit or a health care benefit even will find that being threatened because employers now as a as a class don't want to have that responsibility. They, they wanna just pay you for what time you're in there and that's it. And that doesn't build loyalty. It doesn't build, in our case, artistic quality mm-hmm. at all. It erodes it. So this is a much more fundamental issue for us than just the dollars and cents. Steve, do you think, do you
2: think that the people that are on the opposite side of the table are trying to use the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the members of the Symphony, uh, as an example. They want to set an example. They want to show the rest of the country. Look, we're gonna. This is the most professional. Uh, Group of union members you can find in the world highly trained years and years of training goes into this Uh, this is the top this you know you can't these are not replaceable parts but we can we're going to take away their pension plans so that everybody else everybody else throughout this is what you mean by ideological is what I'm getting at will never even dare to ask for a pension plan. Do you think it's like an ultimately, like they're using you as a chip in a larger game?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and it's not just, you know, the other orchestras like the New York Philharmonic, the San Francisco Symphony, the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra that have these defined, Boston Symphony that have these defined benefit plans that are also now at risk. But um, it's any anybody else that has this kind of a plan. I mean, any other industry, any other profession. And it's... it's um, It's pretty insidious when you get them right down to it. Uh, We didn't anticipate this level of irrationality from our employer. It's almost, uh, (laughs) it doesn't make sense. We're used to working out economic deals with our employer. Yeah, We have a lot of experience with that. They're not interested. Wow. The the two-tier
4: plan, uh, we deal with the the very same thing in so many different contracts, and it, it happens on wages, on retirement, on benefits. And it is absolutely ideological. And one of the things that always happens uh, in places where they do this, we fight tooth and nail against this uh, always, uh, but what often happens is you wind up with more of an incentive to employ these younger, lower tier folks than the right. older people. So you, you find that uh, people under the original tier, they don't get the overtime or they might not maybe be called in to play a concert when you can okay. get somebody new in, um, so it pits Employees, coworkers against one another. Um, and it is ideological, even if it doesn't make financial sense, it's just kind of doing away with financial responsibilities, even if it's not a threat to the bottom line. And, and as you said, I mean, this is the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. This is a town that we take pride in our arts. And this is, you know, like my favorite show, The A-Team. Um, if what are they what are they going to do if uh, if these folks yeah. won't come back are they just going to bring in replacement workers yeah. to play at the oh. Chicago Symphony Orchestra? Yeah. I mean how would how would people feel paying tickets to see? Well these aren't the these aren't the best but they're the ones we could get to do it for <laughs> a
2: little bit or you know whatever less money. Right. That's nonsense. Well I I actually uh, remember when uh, going back to sports. When the NFL brought in replacement players in the 80s, oh, uh, it was uh, atrocious. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the Bears, as bad as they are now, are still better than the replacement players that they had. <laughs> um, is it possible, uh, to follow up on what Ed raised, uh, Steve Lester, is it possible that they would bring in scabs uh, to play concerts and...
3: well? They could try, but uh, we're fortunate. We have a very strong union. Uh, The American Federation of Musicians and our Chicago local, the Chicago Federation of of Musicians, has been extremely supportive. And we've had a picket line out there every single day, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., and nobody can cross that picket line. We have the support of our stagehands. We have the support of the building engineers. They've, They've been shut down. They've had to cancel all kinds of things that weren't us, you know weren't the symphony and i don't think they're going to be able to bring anybody in as long as we stay strong and we're we're up we're there all right that's steve Lester, i'm
2: ben jurofsky and maher also in the studio we're going to take a break when we come back i'm going to talk to steve about political pressure that could be applied to end this strike we'll be right back <laughs> ben
1: jarofsky show is brought to you by the chicago sun times for the latest in chicago and illinois news sports weather and the latest in national news from a real chicago frame of mind and real chicago writers check out the chicago sun times read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com and hey if you have a little extra cash subscribe and by the chicago reader For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show.
2: Mr. Jarovsky, take us home. All right. that's super cool music means the end of another super cool show. And I'd like to thank Ed Maher for playing the uh, organ over there on that one. Uh, last time, I Steve, didn't I do that. Steve Lester was in the studio. I gave him credit for doing it. Uh, he's a bass player. He pointed out to me. I don't play the keyboard, Ben. Uh, anyway, Steve Lester from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra in the studio and Ed Maher from Operating Engineers Local 150. All right. All um, right steve political pressure uh, i'm very disappointed with our elected officials in the chicagoland area correct me if i'm wrong not enough of them in my humble opinion have come out uh on your behalf uh to try to put some kind of pressure right, uh, right. on the uh trustees that you're negotiating with
3: right we, well early on in our strike we got tremendous um Support from the congressional delegation, the Democratic Cong- congressional dem- delegation of Illinois, from Senator Durbin, from uh, uh, the candidates for the mayoral election, um, and you know we're we're at this point we need hands-on help. We need me- mediation. I remember the the days of, of the senior mayor Daly, and he would bring the parties in and into his office and say, you're not leaving until so we have an agreement. Mm-hmm. And when it gets to this sort of um, polarized ideological fight, you need help from the outside. So we're, we are looking into uh, various avenues for that. I can't really talk about them right now, but I hope to have some news uh, in a day or so about that. But. Um, You know, we've had tremendous support from the local unions. We've had uh, all kinds of, from CTU, from from, um, uh, Teamsters, from uh, AFL-CIO, all the other unions that are under that umbrella have sent people to walk with us on the picket line, and it's been tremendous. So we're, you know, I I have to say thank you very much for all those tremendous support that we've gotten. Um, So, you know, we feel very comfortable about how the, the... the people of Chicago are reacting to this. We get a lot of support every day. Our free concerts that we've given all across the city, whether they're the chamber concerts or the three big orchestra concerts, super attendance, super response from people. We haven't asked for donations yet, but we may be getting to that point soon. Mm. Ed, uh, is there tremendous sympathy like, among rank-and-file members in your
2: union for uh the symphony yeah I mean I, I think uh, I think we've got a
4: we've got to get um, building trades in general uh, out there to join these folks I mean we saw it with the hotel workers strike there was support from from all different industries and that's that's what um, that's the kind of leverage that workers need to right. to, to kind of stay stay the fight um, you know as he said they've got the the support of all the other various unions that put things together that make things happen at the CSO. Um, and having workers support generally i think just uh, helps strengthen them and um, puts them in the best position possible uh-huh. so and, and anybody who's not in a union like if you're just if you work in the loop and you're walking by um, what i would just say is stop by and talk to yeah. these folks i mean you'll you'll realize people i think have a Sometimes have a a, a weird idea about striking workers or what that looks like or like dock workers or things like that. But stop and say hi. You'll realize these people are are fighting for the same things that you are. And I mean, you'd be amazed
2: by the talent and the the education that they've got. Well, yeah, I uh, I, the point you made, uh, Steve, uh, thinking back to old man daily. Uh, re- say what you about Richard J. Daley. Have m- my issues with him, uh, but he was very much a union man. Yeah. Came out, and right. uh, there was no ideological opposition to the, the concept of a union. And so I think he would have interjected himself, just as you said, and he yeah. would, have, and he was also the boss, and he would have brought people in. And I'm very disappointed, I have to say, uh, with Mayor Rahm for not doing that. You know, he's heading out of office. Uh, what does he care, you know what I'm saying, if he offends somebody? Uh, and get him into a room together and right. say, all right, what are you going to take? You can, can cut a deal here, you know, and... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just very disappointed with the leadership. I could say this because I'm not uh, on the on the picket line here, but I'm very disappointed that uh, we would allow this to happen, go on six weeks yeah. to the point where uh, you might have to take a, a fund together you know, to make your basic bills. Oh, stuff. yeah,
3: yeah. No, we've gotten uh, actually tremendous support from fellow orchestras. We've gotten donations in excess of $120,000 from those other orchestras to help us manage our our expenses and some of the some of our members are hurting really bad at this point but um, yeah we'll be we'll be dealing with that I just wanted to add that mm-hmm. if anybody wants to um, express an opinion about this situation or to offer support we have a website of course mm-hmm. Chicago Symphony musicianscom and you can contact us at our email musicians of the CSO at gmail.com and you can also follow us on Twitter at musicians shy sim facebook at uh, cso musicians and instagram.com at cso musicians uh, right. so we're we're out there and um we have information about future events and also on how to how to contribute if if you're so moved we are we're um expanding into that area now And how will this
2: affect, well, the the rest of the concert season and and, then into the summer season with Ravinia?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a real issue because um, the CSO contracts with Ravinia for having us up there. uh, So they will lose very significant income if we're not playing up there. And, um, you know, they're kind of lucky because they only have to plan uh, nine months of the year because Ravinia takes care of the other part of the year, Mm -hmm. you know. Summer season, and uh, but that's a that's a big ticket item for them, and it's really in everybody's interest to get this figured out and ended. But uh, there has to be a willingness. Uh, when you say the they, it's a
2: big ticket. Are you talking about it's a it's a big issue for the symphony or it's a big issue for Ravinia?
3: Well, it's both because without us, they'd have to cancel six weeks or have to find some way to fill them up, um, and for without Our ability to perform there, our employers lose probably close to three million dollars. Whoa, three million dollars! But they're willing to throw it away for that
2: second tier of a cut off your nose despite the face. Yeah, Yeah, come exactly. Um, come on, Chicago Symphony Orchestra. You can do a lot better than that. Um, all right. Very good. That's uh, Steve Lester from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Uh, Ed Maher as well in the studio. Uh, D, you got an update for me?
1: Yeah, just two things. Uh, one, obviously, we're having our caption contest. If you're listening to this at the moment and you've yet to send us a caption, send us your captions. Donald Trump hugging the flag with a weird look on his face. We're going to read uh, the captions tomorrow and announce our winner tomorrow as well. And big news. Our show is on back on the radio.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. We're back on the radio. Starting, Are we allowed to say that yet? Yeah, we're allowed okay, to say was,
1: Starting tomorrow, uh-huh. Friday, <clears throat> excuse me, at 12 noon, we're going to be on Lumpin' Radio 105.5 FM. Uh, it's going to be a replay of I uh, put in yesterday's show with Jason McGrath. Katie McFadden and Monroe Anderson. So tomorrow on Lumpin' Radio, 105.5 at 12 noon, you yeah. can hear the best of the Ben Jarofsky Show. How about that, huh? That's We're amazing. moving on.
2: But getting back on the radio. I was on radio. They kicked me off radio. I do a podcast. I'm coming back to radio. Page 21. I'm yeah. reading the Mueller report right there. I'll tell you what, wherever I go, if that Chicago Symphony Orchestra is on strike, I'm having Steve Lester to come on that show because I think it's outrageous. I'll say it. Again and again and again. I'm, my heart is always with the strikers. i got to tell you that, Ed Maher. It, I mean, just like a knee-jerk reaction I got. I'm always with the strikers. Can't imagine somebody going on strike for something frivolous. Right. All right. Giving up a paycheck for six weeks, you figure you've got a really, really good reason to do that. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm with you guys 100%. I think it's the outrageous. City of Chicago, I'll say it again, it wants to be viewed as a world-class city. And they won't pay world-class musicians what they deserve trying to break a union trying to turn it into like a two-tier system. Screw millennials. are out there training to become high-class musicians. You talk about getting bills, Ed Maher, college bills. got College loans, you got to pay off. And uh, so they just want to stick it to him. So I'm with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Uh, they, uh, uh, we're going to put uh, that information up on our Facebook page great, if folks want to get in touch with you again. All right, Steve? Thank you very much. All right, that's Steve Lester. Ed Margener as well. Can't uh, say enough about Mick Dumpke. Did a great job. Of course, the man, the myth, the legend. pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Dr. D behind the board. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs>
1: live streamers you know we you can download the show right if you missed any of the show all you have to do is head to chicagoreader.com chicago.suntimes.com and you can download whatever part of the show you missed hey downloaders you know we live stream the program yeah we do every Tuesday through Friday 1 until 3 p.m. central time same website chicagoreader.com chicago.suntimes.com and to help out Steve Lester and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra striking members reach chicago symphony musicians dot com their email musicians of the cso at gmail.com twitter.com musicians shy sim facebook.com cso musicians and instagram.com cso musicians